Today's gospel lesson comes from uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 10, verse 24 through 39. A disciple is not above the teacher, nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the slave like the master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered. And nothing secret, nothing secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sewed for a penny? Yet not, yet not one of them will fall to the ground unperceived by your father. And even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I also will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Thanks be to God. Yesterday was a hard-working day for me. Um, I began with a, a funeral service at which I presided over in Hummelstown at my home church, and then um, came over to Mechanicsburg for um, a wedding at Lower Allen Community Park at four, and that wedding was for Mary McLean, um, member of our choir, um, a great oboist who many of you uh, know for her, her music and her time in our choir. Um, and in between the two, I had a chance to stop at my mother's house and have a quick lunch with her. And I had my, I had my suit on with my most formal bow tie. And uh, she said, uh, that bow tie looks pretty good. She said, you know, your dad had a couple of bow ties he used to wear. My dad died in 2001, so it's been a few years. And uh, I said, Really? And she said, yeah, wait here a minute. And she went back digging in a dresser drawer, and she came out with two of them, and this is one. Um, and uh, I've been, I've been uh, thinking about my dad, and uh, um, uh, he liked to dress up and to dress his boys up. So that's where I kind of got in the habit of, um, of dressing. Um, at the funeral, I was fine, but at the wedding yesterday at Lower Allen Community Park, I was way overdressed. That's the way it goes. My dad also loved to shop. He was a shopper. Know what his favorite store was? Corvettes. Remember? Remember Corvettes? For those who are too young to know, uh, Corvettes stood where Boscov's now stands over in Camp Hill. He would drag us over most every weekend from Hummelstown all the way over, or Hershey, all the way over to Corvettes. And then we would walk the aisles and shop and shop. Always a clothing store or a shoe store, never a toy store. And 
in those days, in those days, you know, often uh, a clerk would come up to you, may I help you find something? And uh, my dad's response was always, just browsing. No, thank you. Just browsing. And we would browse. When I go into a store, I go to get something and I get out. You, you won't see me walking, walking the mall. Um, you won't see me there at all. Don't look for me in the mall. There's only two kinds of stores fit to shop in. A hardware and an antique store. And, uh, so, so you won't find me, um, at the malls. I don't like that at all. I think my dad broke me of any possibility that I'd ever enjoy browsing. But as I thought about that, um, you know, I realized there's, there's a lot of browsing that goes on. Um, in our lives and, and in our world, not just in stores or in malls. Um, I went to school with a woman um, who was working on uh, her master's degree in my class. And as I learned to know her, I learned that she already had two bachelor's degrees and three master's degrees. She was working on her fourth master's. It's as if she were browsing through the university taking a course this year and a course next semester and earning a degree this year and a degree next year. And since then, I don't know what became of her, but, but the picture of her I have in my mind is that, that when she finally left school, she went to this job for a year or two and to another one and just kind of browsed through the professions too, never really setting in on one and becoming a seasoned expert in any particular field. And, and I've discovered there, there are lots of folks like her, perhaps not to that extent, but folks who move from one thing to another, not, not really setting themselves in one place for very long. A, a certain amount of, of browsing is appropriate when you are unmarried and dating, but then after the wedding, the browsing is supposed to stop. Sometimes it doesn't. And, and among the tragedies of our culture and our time are, are the effects of that. The, and, and you've seen them. They're all around us. The broken hearts and the broken homes and the broken families that are a result of browsing through relationships and not settling on one and, and making it work. I find that, that folks do a lot of browsing when it comes to churches. They, they visit here, they visit there, never really making a commitment to participate in a congregation's pursuit of God's mission. I'll stay here till I get tired of this group of people and I'll move on to the next. I'll stay here until I find something more exciting elsewhere. I'll stay a part of this fellowship till someone makes me angry, then I'll move on. I'll participate here until someone says something to challenge me or someone expects too much and then I'll go elsewhere. And sometimes, sometimes folks do the same. They browse through the gods. You may be surprised to hear me say there's more than one, but listen, this week, this week patriotism is important. So I'll join this group who's protesting flag burning over here. Next week, I really need some time myself. I'm most important, so I'll help myself to whatever I want. And then our family vacation is important, so we're going to put all of our energy into getting ready to go. Well, then after that, it's getting the kids ready to go to school. And then uh, we'll put all of our energy into that venture for a while. Then it's a new car, and then it's painting the house, and then it's Christmas presents, and so on and on. Moving from one thing to another with nothing in the center 
to hold it all together. No center around which it all revolves, which keeps everything in its place and in its proper relationship to other things. A young painter had just completed a commendable landscape, large landscape on canvas. She displayed it to her family. How beautiful, said one. A work of art to remember, said another. But Grandpa just sat in the corner shaking his head from side to side. And she looked at him and said, you don't like it? And he said, oh, oh, I like it very much. But it won't last. Your picture, you see, has two centers of interest. On the left side, there's that large, beautiful tree, so exquisitely painted. But on the other side is the snow-capped mountain in the distance. Two centers of interest. In time, people will be confused about what the subject of your painting is, and you yourself will begin to dislike it. No work of art can endure when there are two centers of interest. That's precisely the problem that Jesus was tackling when he said those things that George read for us in the 10th chapter of Matthew. He was speaking to those whose tendency it was to browse through life, following first this set of values and then that, this teacher and then another, moving haphazardly with no focus or goal or direction or destination to guide them, dealing with with the very important and very essential elements of life, family and friendships and, and learning and loving, all of those very essential components, but not in a meaningful way that that holds them all in proper place and perspective. The great danger, Jesus said, is that when you have too many focal points in your life, you don't serve any of them faithfully or well. So Jesus challenged those who were hearing him to heed his cause and take him seriously and to place Jesus and his kingdom at the center of their life. Not displacing and disregarding family or life itself, but putting them in their proper place. Listen carefully to how he said it. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it. Those who lose their life for my sake will find it. You see, he wasn't discounting those important things, family and life. He wasn't telling us to throw them away or to disregard them entirely. Put them in their proper perspective. Place me in the center at the hub of your life and those other vitally important things will find their place and be honored and cared for when they do. Those are among Jesus' sternest and most urgent words. No room, no room for browsers in Jesus' kingdom. Put him in the center and let everything else find its place around him. The kingdom of God calls for our total commitment, our highest loyalty, our absolute allegiance. It is designed not to destroy the other things in our life or to put them entirely outside of our lives, but to be the center around which all else turns. 
Jesus put it into the starkest and most startling terms that he could. You must love me even more than you do your father, your mother, your children. Even so, what Jesus says is not the call to be some kind of a fanatic, to abandon your family and those whom you love. Jesus is not stating any kind of expectation that you should go off screaming on a street corner somewhere. This is simply a call to commitment, a call for the highest and best loyalty of which human beings are capable. This passage is not an attack on family relationships, but it is a clear insistence that following Jesus belongs in the center of who we are with all of our other loyalties and commitments finding their place beside this one. Some years ago, there was a man named Tony Messinio. Um, he lived, he, he may still be there or have passed his ministry on to someone else. But he was a committed Catholic layman who lived in uh, uh, St. Louis and had a ministry on the riverfront there. He worked among a, a group of poor people who were called river rats or sewer rats along the, the Mississippi River in St. Louis. Tony didn't call them that. But they were, the, they were the, the absolute poorest of the poor who lived along the riverbank, along near the, the, the huge um, uh, pipes that would empty the water of the city of St. Louis into the Mississippi River. Tony Massenio worked there and offered them food and clothing and his presence and his love, no strings attached. Someone asked him one day, what do you get for all that you do? And his response was, I'm living the life that God wants me to live. In other words, he was saying, I am keeping God and the kingdom of God at the center of who I am. I'm living the life that God wants me to live. He buys, he, he buys food from what he earns, budgeting out his own rent and gas money. He, he turns, um, um, his, uh, his time into a lifeline for the people whom he serves. He scavenges through the, uh, the produce, the, the, the discarded produce at the city market. Um, he negotiates with cafes and restaurants not only for their leftover food, uh, but for cooking privileges in their kitchens when their kitchens are not being used so he can prepare, prepare food for those folks along the riverfront. I'm not down here, he says, trying to make Catholics or even trying to make converts to society. Preaching has little effect on empty stomachs and actions speak louder than words. In his faithful way, there is a man who through his ministry is placing Jesus' call upon his life at the center and he allows the rest of his life to turn around it. There's a book called... Um, Emotional intelligence, and the man, uh, the author of that book, uh, Daniel Goldman, recounts the story from long ago story of a of an American soldier in Vietnam. He said, one day his platoon was hunkered down in a rice paddy, and they were fighting with with a group of Viet Cong in the next rice paddy. Uh, on the same farm. Um, in, in that particular location, uh, the rice paddies were separated by a, an earth uh, mound between them, um, an earthen uh, berm or a beam that um, um, was, a, was a, a walkway from where the farmers would tend the rice fields on both sides. One, uh, um, uh, one platoon on one side, the other platoon on the other side, and they were shooting at, at each other until in the middle of the day, um, all of a sudden they noticed coming down along this 
this berm, this this wooden, this uh, earthen mound, were six Buddhist monks going from where they were to where they wanted to be, and they were walking toward the soldiers who were shooting at each other. They were walking directly toward the line of fire, calmly and steadily, as you might picture Buddhist monks walking. They didn't look to the left or the right. They just kept walking on their way. And this, this American soldier said, it was, it was the strangest thing, because we're, we're, we're trying to kill each other. Um, we're shooting each other across that, that earthen uh, uh, boundary between the two fields. And here comes this group of Buddhist monks. And they're just walking, not paying any attention. And the funniest thing was, nobody shot at them. Not a single one. And, and after they, they walked in between us and went on their way, all of a sudden, the strangest thing All the fight had gone out of me. I just didn't feel like I wanted to do this anymore, at least not on that day. And and it must have been that way for everybody because everybody quit. We just stopped fighting. And he said, he said, I can't say what any of us are called to do right now. I can only say that anyone who chooses to walk with God may well be completely out of step with the expectations they're going to find in the office or in the neighborhood or with their family. Sometimes it seems that God's people are called to walk right through the field of fire, faithfully, sacrificially, doing what we've been called to do. God calls each of us to different tasks. God has invested in each of us different talents and different abilities. The time in which we live requires different things of us than were required of our parents or our grandparents. Most of us couldn't do what Tony Messinio does in St. Louis. I know I couldn't do that. It would be hard for any of us to do what those Vietnamese priests did that day, going from where God called them to be over here to where God calls them to be over here and just walking, walking the path. All of us can't be pastors or missionaries. That's not our calling. Some of us can. (laughs) Some of us can. But it's not all of our callings. We have different gifts, different abilities, different tasks. But for all of us, Jesus calls us to serve him above all others. Using our unique gifts, recognize our calling, Jesus calls us to love and serve him above all others, to focus our lives with him and his kingdom at the center, at the hub. He calls us to structure our living so that the values of Christ's kingdom override all other values and priorities. No painting with two focal points can stand the test of time and criticism. It will be tiring to look at and confusing to its admirers eventually. A life with too many focal points, will be so exhausting and confusing that it will bear far less fruit than it could and it will be lacking in the joy that God intended. No place for browsers in the Christian way. The goal is too far from us. The work is too demanding for there to be any distraction. No room for browsers. Set the Christ of the church and his kingdom at the center of your life. Let all the other important and vital things 
find their place around him and rotate around the Christ and his kingdom. The goal is too far. The work is too demanding for there to be any distractions and any more focal points than there need to be. Amen.